The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle on 88.1 WKNC HD1 Raleigh. I am Nick Weaver. And I'm Marissa Jordan. I'm Matt Schneider. This week, we've got a special show. Our main piece today is going to be Matt's interview with Russ Stevenson, a current sitting council member for the city of Raleigh. And after that, we'll have our usual live segments, local trivia tidbit, this day in history, and a quick conversation about a very very important current event today. And we'll be discussing the kneeling protests during the national anthem that many NFL members have uh, taken to. That's all coming up in just a bit. But first, the interview. Before we get into that, though, Matt, do you have anything in particular that you'd like to say about the candidate or the interview? Well, I don't really need to frame the interview too much. Russ was uh, very kind to give me about an hour of his time. We spoke at length about the city's issues. And um, I just would like to remind our listeners that there's an election coming up on October 10th and you can go to the Wake County Board of Elections uh, website to find out your local polling places. So the purpose of these this series is to inform the listeners and I hope you enjoy it. Russ Stevenson serves as an at-large council member for the city of Raleigh, which means he represents the entire city. He has a background In architecture and design, he attended NC State University, where he met his wife. His son also attended the university. He was also in a band called UV Prom that frequently played the Cat's Cradle in the brewery before it closed down. I sat down with Russ in Cameron Village to discuss the future of the city of Raleigh and the upcoming election on October 10th. Here's a clip of UV Prom. Energy technologies. Uh, uh, so that's yeah, we we have a great diverse council, a lot of great ideas. Now let me let me transition to something that I uh, saw on the city of Raleigh's website that happens to be 583 pages. So I'm hoping for you to 
to give me an executive summary, pretend that I'm, you know, secretaries of state or something like that. Um, but you were influential in helping craft the 2030 comprehensive plan for the city of Raleigh. So um, could you please condense that plan um, for a layman such as myself? Well, uh, in a single sentence, it is the uh, community consensus strategic vision for the city that we want to become by 2030. So what that means is, well, let me just back up again. I'm an architect, an urban planning consultant. Um, uh, I think I'm the only city councilor who actually has work as a private consultant built into the comprehensive plan, the Stanhope Village Small Area Plan. Uh, I'm also the probably the lead counselor who had influenced over the design of the comprehensive plan. Uh, and uh, But it really was a, a community-wide effort. And in what it said was, uh, we don't want to grow in a low-density, sprawl, suburban pattern of development. We realize that that is tough on our environment, you know, a lot of car commutes, a lot of air pollution, a lot of clear-cutting of green areas to build low-density suburban, a lot of construction of roads, a lot of building city, expensive city infrastructure out to distant um, new subdivisions. And we said, you know, let's look at our Raleigh's future as a more sustainable future where we will grow in a way that's more compact, walkable, mixed use with more transit. We're going to protect the environment by doing that. We're going to value, we're going to improve our air quality, water quality. We're going to value our natural places. And uh, the citizens of Raleigh said, yes, that is the vision that we want for the city of Raleigh. So that is a series of policies uh, and goals that, that we've set for ourselves about how we're going to get there. So every decision we make as a city, we go back to the comp plan and say, how does that stack up against the key policies and goals about us getting to our vision of being a sustainable, world-class city? What about building up instead of out? Yes. Well, absolutely. That is that is definitely part of sustainability. Is that, uh, and I guess Cameron Village was kind of an interesting early shopping center that um, um, instead of being built like a uh, a mall out on the fringe, it has a grid of streets. You know, it is kind of auto dependent in its day, but it is going through redevelopment here. The, buildings we see around Cameron Village are all vertical mixed use so the idea is that you can spend more of your time taking care of more of your daily activities without having to get in a car and sit in congested traffic and burn fossil fuels walkable around North Hills. The the, um, the bike lanes and the grass uh, medians and all of that is that consensus among um, the council or uh, are, are there competing visions on how to handle um, those types of situations? Because you're you're mentioning um, a post-fossil fuel era, which I think the public is ready to get to, and especially Raleigh. I don't want to drive anymore. I, I really don't. I want to be able to get from where I live, which is North Raleigh. to It's only six miles from downtown. I want to be able to, to take a bus easily downtown i'll pay I'll, I'll pay whatever it is whatever it takes but i don't want to have to drive down there anymore so uh it's not just the convenience factor but look at look at the global trends you have uh england announcing that they are going to uh 
and or uh, put put a, a hard limit on on uh, fossil fuel burning cars. France and now even China. Um, so if China is saying it, why aren't we doing that? And why don't we as Ra- uh, uh, Raleigh citizens take the lead in that? We got so many. I think there is. And correct me if I'm wrong. You probably know this data. In in um, in in the Triangle area has either the the second or third concentration of people with uh, advanced degrees in the United States. So we have genius people here. So let's go. Let's get rid of the cars. Right. Well, and yeah, and, and London does the congestion pricing to try to get people onto transit, too. Uh, I recently uh, traveled to Copenhagen, and it was all public transportation. It was all... Electrified bike share. I don't know why they need electrified bike share. It's all flat as a pancake out there. But you know, and and we got to see all the new housing prototypes. You know, those are all great ideas that we. I mean, I've been. I graduated with my degree in environmental design back in 1979, and these ideas have been you know on the forefront for urban planners for a long time, but. The feasibility of implementation has been difficult. Well, but politically, I mean, just look at the. The federal, the national trend. You know, it's uh, our president wants to bring back fossil fuels. Doesn't really care about renewable energy sources. uh, Doesn't see that that is the economy of the future. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time, but the politics at the state level are not much better. The the state does not want. They, Orange and Durham County, moving forward, funding a light rail line between the two of them. The legislature said, okay, the previous legislature said we're going to uh, put in as much as 25% of the cost, but the current legislature said, nope, we changed our minds. We're not going to give you but a little piddling bit, so now you've got to go off and find. So my point is the politics at the, at the state, the federal state, and uh, even at the county level, until recently, we had county commissioners who said we're not going to have a transit referendum. It was only a few years ago that th- th- there was a shift to progressive thinking about transportation future and uh, sustainable growth. And so now we've just last year we passed the transit referendum that is going to generate. It's just started this year. Generate 94 million dollars a year to quadruple. Uh, the bus system, the bus service hours in the city of Raleigh. So that is. So Here, let me show you something really quick. Uh, as a as an NC State student, I get I'm entitled to a subsidized Go Pass, which allows me to uh, access pretty much the gamut of public transportation op- options in. Um, the city of Raleigh and the greater triangle as a whole. Now, the problem with this, personally, is that it's still not convenient for me to get to class from where I live right now, even though it's only six miles away. Um, it would take three hours. Um, but I... I think this can work, and I hope guys like you and your and people that that work hard with the city government and the state government and the federal government can make this happen. Because I know the trends among folks my age and younger, and I'm I'm an old fart for a for a college student, but I I I think this this stuff is 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 very important to the city. Well, so and, uh, as I mentioned, I was involved in crafting our comprehensive plan vision for sustainable growth and development back right. in 2007 through 2009, and we absolutely said we're going 
to a future that is compact, walkable, mixed-use, transit-available, and that protects the environment. So you, you started working on the 2030 plan in 2007. 2007. I mean, you've been working on it in your head for a long time, but actual yes. proposals and negotiations. Yes, the, the actual work effort to create yeah. a new sustainable comprehensive plan started in 2007. What's the feasibility of... Uh, like the high-speed rail uh, coming in around that time. I'm not going to try to pin you down to no, a no, date. That's, it, that's easy. That's, uh, that's The funding, been, is the funding there? Uh-huh. It, it was there during the early years of the Obama administration, uh, but the funding is not there anymore. Again, the, the federal priorities are not around rail transit at the local, the state, or the federal level. So there is some funding that continues already for this new transit future, and... Um, I've been ready for the transit future for a long time, but I also know that I live in a democracy, and it's a diverse one, and it's one where, as you said, even as you mentioned your own go pass, I can't do it. I can't make the connections. I can't do it in a convenient way with the bus now. And so, so the good news is, again, that we've passed the referendum. We're going to be quadrupling our bus service, so that's going to be transformational. But by the same token, you talked about the transportation bond. Um, uh, we just did a the first ever citywide statistically significant survey of our citizens. Now, lots of categories of questions. The, the broadest one was, uh, you know, what do you think of the quality of life in, in Raleigh? And the answer was 91% said it's good to excellent. So that sounds like we're on the right track. Uh, but in terms of what do we need to fix most, the number one concern was congestion. So what that tells me and would tell anyone, I think, is that even though we are continuing to move in the direction of creating much better transit options for people to reduce congestion, there are a lot of people out there who use their cars every day and who are finding it increasingly difficult to get around because of congestion on major arterials. And so, I mean, uh, things that we've never seen before in um, Raleigh, but in other cities, this thing called like ramp metering. Have you ever heard of that? No, no. Please, uh, please discuss. So. Um, 540 is our outer loop, right? And it carries major trips from far north Raleigh, outside of 540, to RTP and Durham, okay? A huge number of trips in the AM peak going west and the PM peak coming back east. Uh, but it's gotten so, I mean, even though 540 is a, is a very large expressway, interstate highway, uh, it's very congested in the morning to the point where on all the on-ramps from Falls of Noose Road over to Creedmoor Road, they're installing ramp meters, which is red light signals that only let a few cars get out onto the highway at a time. Yeah. So that's an indication. We had those in Illinois. Yeah, so that's ramp meeting. But yeah, I, I didn't know the technical term for it. The, the meaning of it in reality is that there's no way we can keep up with all the um, car trips that are being generated from our growth. And, you know, part of that is, again, it's this dance that we're doing to get the transit in place and get the new housing patterns that are less car dependent in place. And, you know, we're sort of sort of uh, working our way forward, finding funding where we can get it from the feds and the state and generating it. I mean, this transportation bond, we're asking the city of Raleigh taxpayers to to um, help fund or finance 206 
207.6 million dollars worth of improvement now it's a it's a range of things it's everything from road widenings to safe routes to school and uh, traffic calming in neighborhoods uh, some bicycle and, and pedestrian improvements but it's a huge uh, ask that we're making of our citizens to just to try to maintain our quality of life uh, in all the, our aspects of mobility knowing that the, that the transportation bond funds are coming forward and uh, that, that they'll really again do, be transformational in terms of giving people better options the the bond uh, does I mean, there were many, many projects on that bond that I briefly reviewed, and I think we'll try to post that on the website. But um, the roads, like aside from the congestion, I mean, this is probably a balancing act that you folks have to have to uh, uh, handle. The roads are really bad in Raleigh. They're 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 bad because I think the sheer amount of traffic and volume of traffic that they're handling is. Uh, unexpected over the last uh, 15 years of growth. So um, how do you balance congestion and commute time with, you know, the potholes and the, and just like, it's, it, it's, it's rough. It's, it's not, it's not pretty. And I, I do, I'm seeing a lot of action. I'm seeing uh, nighttime construction or nighttime um, improvement uh, out, um, out by where I stay, but like, um, what do you get? Do you get feedback from your constituents about that? Yes, and as I mentioned, I, we just got this citywide survey, and they said the number one thing: that, well, congestion. They and there was probably some quality of the the, the road surface. So they lump the two in together, or or there may have been a separate um, category that where they said, yeah, this. Is I'm going to send the city of Raleigh an invoice for my shocks. <laughs> so, uh, and of course, that's exactly why we're doing this transportation bond, and and. What happened is during the recession years, you know, we had choices of laying off employees or reducing some of the street maintenance, you know, and just setting the higher priority ones, getting those done and just putting the other ones on hold. So this bond, in, to some extent, is playing catch up with five or six years of recessionary uh, spending, which is less spending on maintenance than we would like to do otherwise. Is the council in unanimous agreement that the bond should pass? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Very strong support. So, Councilman Stevenson, let's take a quick break, and I have a couple more questions for you. Is that okay? Great. Planning award. So I have a lot of background in smart growth, you know, sustainable urban planning. I said, okay, now if we put this political process of consensus building and finding common ground in front of, you know, on top of the design principles for sustainable growth, then we, we can really do something great for the city of Raleigh. And so that is when I just said, okay, I'm going to run for city council. And it just so happened that both of the at-large councilors at that time had just been elected to the legislature. So they were two kind of placeholder people in place, but it was, they were no record. And so that was, that I ran on sustainable growth and development, building consensus among diverse stakeholders, you know, growing a great city, uh, again, transit-oriented, you know. And that was 2005? Well, yes, when I was first elected. Well, before that, I, I went on to the Planning Commission. So in 2003, I was appointed. To the you had a political appointment before you were an elected official. Right, and so the Planning Commission is an advisory body to the council on okay. zoning cases mostly. So how, how many how many votes did you get in your first election? Wow. 
That was a long time ago. Raleigh was a smaller place, too. It was, you know. Um, but, uh, well, I just say, you know, this, I'm running for my seventh time on city council. Uh, and, and there's two at-large seats. So to be elected outright instead of having to go to a runoff, you have to get 25% plus one vote of the electorate. And so I've gotten in the 30s and maybe in the 30s or 40s every time. How do you feel about your chances this go around? Oh, well, um, I, I feel. What, I feel so you you have the incumbency advantage. The incumbency advantage, um, I, and and of course I also have a record of accomplishment. Right. I'm very proud of, and I, you know, certainly not shy about saying that you know I'm the council's leading advocate for comprehensive planning, for sustainable growth and development, for environmental stewardship for neighborhood conservation and for shared prosperity. I mean, I'm, I'm leading the council in all of those categories. And uh, what's been encouraging to me about the um, new people coming along is that they are all saying the exact same things. That I the, I, I'm, I'm extending invitations throughout this series of interviews to your opponents, and I'm focusing on the at-large race only because uh, it's too complicated to, to get into the weeds of everybody else. I want the folks that are representing the entire city. And I <laughs> I don't even know how many people are running for at-large right now. There's seven people running for at-large. So is that is that normal for these types of elections? No, it's not. But I think um, it has to do with a couple things. Uh, the millennial generation is... Uh, very interested in becoming more engaged in um, government, uh, you know. There's, uh, but also the fact that since the other at-large candidate is not going to run again, there's essentially an open seat. Just like there were two open seats when I first ran in 2005. Now there's an open seat, so that is an opportunity um, to um, makes it easier to get elected because you're not having to run against two incumbents. So I am familiar with. Uh, Stacy Miller, Nicole Stewart, Zainab Block, and um, I, there's four more I need to stu- – no, there's three more or four. There's you. You're the incumbent. That's – but um, – And then there's uh, one other person who is uh, – Actually, you, are you uh, – you're doing a student government uh, hosted uh, – is, de- is it a debate? A forum. Okay. All right. You want to introduce yourself really quick, yeah, though? Absolutely. My name is Dalton Clark. I'm the director of government relations at uh, uh, NC State Student Government. Okay. Well, thanks for coming by today. And, and what are you guys? You guys are hosting an event with the uh, local officials, city council race folks, and up. Uh, oh, Russ has got it. Russ has got it uh, in his on his calendar. So, what um, do you want to just uh, mention a few things about it? Who's going to attend, and um, what time and the location? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as of right now, we've invited every um, member who's running at large. Uh, all the members who are running at large have been invited, and uh, all the mayoral candidates have been invited as well. And um, Russ will be there. He's gonna. He's getting an. He's got an alert an hour before, so he's gonna be prepared. Yeah. And um, yeah. Absolutely. So it's Tuesday, September twenty sixth at seven thirty at uh, Witherspoon Hall at NC State's campus, room one twenty six. Where should folks park? 
Um, Dan Allen would be the best place to park after five, free parking after five. Dan Allen parking deck, free parking after five. And are, will you be promoting this event through any other means uh, of your current uh, position? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a Facebook event. We've got a Facebook page up and uh, add it. The technician, uh, NC State's local paper, is uh, supposed to be covering it as well. Will you email me all that stuff so I can get the word out as well so we can have a nice event for everybody? Absolutely, yes. Well, I appreciate you stopping by. I got a few more questions for Councilman Stevenson. Yeah, I need to hang out for a little bit. Um, I think the main, the main uh, observation I have about your race politically is that on, on your opponent's and your website, it, the messaging is essentially the same. Yeah. Well, that again, that's uh, the quote that the NNO reporter got from me was that we're all singing for the same hymnal. And, and so in terms of uh, you calling the other at-large candidates my opponents, my attitude is to say, you know what, to the extent that their values and my values and, and sense of priorities for the you know, growth and development of the city of Raleigh, uh, for all of its citizens are very so closely aligned that I, I sort of see them not as uh, they're not running against me. They've, I've not had anyone say, here's what's wrong with Russ's position because they're the same position. The only thing is that I've been doing it longer and have more of the ideas already underway than they do. But um, Okay. Uh, so would you would you just make your closing argument for uh, why citizens of Raleigh should vote for you and also inform um, them that they ought to go out and vote no matter what and where where they can vote if there's early voting going on right now because it is you know folks just don't realize that there's that there's an election going on so um, so so I, I appreciate your time today and just go ahead and make your your closing argument please. Okay, uh, again, my name's Russ Stevenson. I am the incumbent at-large city councilor. I've been uh, serving all the citizens of Raleigh since 2005. Uh, I am an NC State graduate, met my wife there. My son is an NC State graduate. Um, um, I have degrees in environmental design and in architecture. I've been working as an urban planning consulting. Uh, uh, I bring all of that training and expertise to the work of city council to make Raleigh a world-class city. Uh, I've been involved in crafting our comprehensive plan, our new UDO, Unified Development Ordinance, zoning rules that, that are the rules that implement that comp plan vision. Uh, I'd say uh, that I am the leading advocate uh, in terms of sustainable growth and development, leading advocate in terms of uh, environmental stewardship, protecting our air, water, and natural places. I've been endorsed seven times by the Sierra Club. Also a very strong advocate for neighborhood uh, conservation. I think our neighborhoods are the uh, really the bedrock, the heart of our city. So having strong neighborhoods is important, especially when we're doing this more compact development pattern. The transitions between new growth and existing neighborhoods is, is a critical to maintaining that um, balance between the denser walkable development and 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 strong neighborhoods it was is that your that's your number one issue that is my number one issue and it sort of goes back to what i said about uh when i got involved with this hillsborough street visioning the, the way we were doing things in politics generally was we we're going to have winners and losers i said no no let's find common ground let's find a way forward that works for all of us so the thing that i've 
have focused on is this, is this idea of equity as an economic driver. The idea that um, the whole city benefits when we all of, when we we have a rising tide lifts all boats. Yes, but we have to invest in that human capital so that they can can be healthy. Do good in school, do good at work, you know, uh, be educated so they can do good at work. They can have transportation choices. So we're going forward with the transit bond that will give people more opportunities to get more work options. Uh, affordable housing, that's why we're doing so much with affordable housing to make sure that people can afford to live here, right? But it all comes back to, uh, and jobs. Um, and I'll go in, I could go another hour. Well, well, just, just your, just one more time, your top three issues briefly. Well, I mean, the biggest one that encompasses all the others is that for us to become uh, an equitable city, to be, and what that means is next tier down, great transit options so that people can get to more job opportunities, affordable housing so that people can afford to live in the city of Raleigh, and, and, and those, are, those are really the top three. What do you think about the Confederate uh, memorial uh, statues and that, that sort of a divisive issue right now? It's national, but it's also local to here. I wanted to get your opinion on that really quick. Uh, you know, I uh, think it's pretty interesting what Governor Cooper has said, which is let's take these three Confederate statues uh, down from the Capitol Square and take them to the Bentonville um, battlefield memorial that's in, in Johnston County. I, you know, I think, uh, depending on the color of your skin, you you see those memorials very differently, and and so people who uh, I see them differently too because I identify as Jewish. Okay, so well, there you go. So uh, to, to the and 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 more so, of course, there's been a lot of dis- discussion about this. They didn't go up um, right at the end of the Civil War, uh, like the cemetery memorials, uh, but they went up. You know, decades later, as um, Jim Crow, as, as, as America's apartheid started taking place, and so they were as, sort of a dual message there. It's, it's yes, we're going to memorialize, but we're also going to show the, the power of the, the prevailing white culture uh, now and then and forever. And so it's uh, it that you know, there's this needs to be a lot of interpretation around how those statues really got to be there and what exactly were they memorializing. And so I think they're, the idea is that we really need to think long and hard about all those questions and make sure that we're representing the whole story. All right, Councilman, uh, I have one more question for you. Could you please call my landlord and negotiate a lower rent for me? <laughs> all right, give me his, give me his number. <laughs> Thank you. Any final words? Uh, well, just, uh, again, thanks for the opportunity to uh, talk with you. And um, if, if I can share some of my uh, band's music. Oh, yeah. What, what's, your, what, uh, what's your band's name? Uh, are you still playing or are you, can you get them back together somehow? Um, send, out a, send out a group text? Yeah, so there are uh, some of our songs with you if you'd like to. Well, maybe we, I mean, there's so, uh, WKNC has so many uh, artists that I've never heard of before, so maybe we have uh, your your record in our vault. Not, yes, well, and if you don't, I have one. Okay. Councilman Stevenson, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Good luck on your race.
You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on 88.1 WKNC, HD1 Raleigh. I am Nick Weaver, joined by Marissa Jordan and Matt Schneider. Once again, we are back from our break. It is time for local trivia tidbit. Matt, start us off today. I'm happy to start you off. Okay. Local trivia tidbit. Raleigh man jailed for stealing street sweeper driving donuts at a mall. This this uh, this, this headline called to me. This among a sea of other local stories that could have been equally interesting, I said this one has the most mystique and charm. You can tell when uh, I pick a story versus when Nick picks one. Hey, you picked the Bigfoot stuff. No, I didn't. Wait, did I pick that? Yes, I wasn't even here. Yeah, but you you know what? Never mind. It doesn't matter because we're talking about a man that did donuts in a street sweeper. I, I think the audience also should get a visual. So, Nick, do you want to tell people where you found that picture? So this dude... The the dude that's been do- that did the donuts the dude that did the, the donut donuts. guy the donut driver uh, with the street, street sweeper. sweeper this is a man that looks like he has nothing else to lose uh, very very short buzzed hair uh, the scrappy kind of beard from your weird drunk neighbor who sits out on his lawn in boxers and a bathrobe uh, bloodshot sad eyes yes the most important detail and a face that says oh god how did I get here. This this is a this is a beautiful, beautiful little frame of humanity that we've dug up here. Do, do we know what he's charged with exactly? Yeah, yeah, it says right here. Okay, police charged a 39 year old man Sunday with stealing a street sweeper and driving donuts around a Garner shopping mall, damaging a curb, bushes, and another vehicle. So who's the attorney that's they're gonna get to defend a guy like this? A public one? Or, yeah, I mean, well, do you think he's like loaded and he can bring in like you know the ghost of Johnny? I don't Cochran? think a, a man who's loaded goes out, steals a street sweeper, and does donuts in a shopping mall. I think that's the kind of man that has no money to spare. Marissa, if you were an attorney, would you jump on this case? Probably not. <laughs> Just I mean, if I mean, you're at the end of your rope as an attorney, maybe. I think the bottom line is what Nick was saying, that the man had nothing to lose. Yeah, nothing to lose. Uh, Robinson, according to the article, that's his name, is accused of taking a 1996 GMC street sweeper belonging to King Enterprises, a vehicle valued at $50,000, according to Wake County Magistrate's records. He allegedly drove in circles around a parking lot, then over a curb and some bushes, records said. A $1,000 secured bond charged with larceny, uh, driving while impaired, and hit and run. He's on a $1,000 secured bond. So uh, that's a cheap bond. Well, apparently he was uh, impaired, too, so I'm guessing he was not sober when this happened. No, no. I mean, God, no. What (laughs) what man soberly steals a street sweeper and drives donuts in a mall parking lot? You'd be surprised. So I've I've been living in North Carolina since about 2011, and I still don't really understand how bond and bail works because I come from a state that, that didn't have that. Don't don't ask me. I, I don't know either. A quick, a quick one, two, three on it. Just like like this guy, he's got he he for a thousand dollars secure right, bond. The I one, mean, two, three. Step yeah. one, get arrested. Right. Step two, secure bond for a thousand bucks. Yeah, step or three. More. Leave the jail for however long it takes for your court case to go. Well, just specific to our our donut friend. Uh, I'm assuming he got arrested. Uh, a DA came in. He said, "Get me a bond." And the DA got him a bond, and he left. And now he's got a wait trial. Okay. Or he hasn't paid the bond. Okay, is the bond what you take out to pay off the like the the debt that they're holding you on in the jail, or is it? I don't even know. 
Maybe maybe he's being held and they're like, okay, pay us a thousand dollars and you can leave now. Maybe that's the case, and he hasn't paid it yet. I don't know yet. My softball team played at Campbell Law School last weekend. Maybe we can call them and find out what the heck's going on with this guy and the thousand dollars and all that. And the donuts. Maybe they know where the donuts are. I feel like there's not that much more information to find out on this one. The article actually was the extent of what we said here. But uh, nice thought. Okay. Maybe next week we'll do a specialty piece on bail bonds. <laughs> okay. All right. That concludes local trivia tidbit. I think we've said all we need to say about that one. Uh, up next, this day in history. Okay. So this day in history in uh, 1789, excuse me, the Bill of Rights uh, was passed by Congress. In 2005, the IRA officially disarms. Not disbands. Important detail. Are you Irish? N- well, yes, but not IRA. Oh, right. Sinn Féin and, is now a legitimate political party. Right. And in 1957, the Central High School was integrated. And if you didn't know what that was, that was um, the school in Alabama and where the students had to be uh, escorted in by the police because there was so much hate Not just discrimination. Police, uh, Air Force marshals. Oh, that's true, yes. Just imagine that much hate for someone who just wanted to go to school. <laughs> it's kind of sad. But I'm glad our country has somewhat moved on. Yeah. Have I, uh, we moved on that far from that? Hence, somewhat. What school do we go to right now and what percentage of the population here is uh, is a minority? Let's get into that. What is, because I saw a, um, I saw some type of piece of literature out that NC State won a award for being extremely diverse. Right. So I would say that we've come a, a, a good distance from people of, of African-American descent not being able to walk into the school doors without people assaulting them. Yeah. Maybe things aren't perfect yet, but we've we've made some distance here. Not perfect by a long shot, but yeah. We've made some <laughs> some progress. Right. Uh, yeah, but that is... I'm kind of surprised I haven't heard about that already, just offhand. That's a pretty major yeah like, date i got i remember back in like second grade they'd show us those videos of like uh what was it a day without martin luther king where the kid goes back in time by accident and prevents martin luther king from uh i think getting shot and it's like oh no history's so much worse if that hadn't happened weirdest after school video ever but the theme from it was uh the mountain is high and the valley is low I cannot say I ever watched that in elementary school, but... Fascinating cartoon movie. Martin Luther King said, Injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere, right around that time. It was on 1957. I think those words ring true. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on from this day in history. Yep, that wraps it up. All right, let's talk about... Matt, you wanted to talk about this. The uh, the NFL protests uh, the players kneeling during the national anthem. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh we live in a time right now of uh, divisiveness um in our in our politics. Uh major divisiveness. So, uh our our president is uh making some inroads into taking on professional sports at this point and um using his uh bully pulpit to uh drive an agenda of divisiveness and the Players Union, the owners, even the, even the owners of the NFL teams, um, specifically, I don't know which ones, but the majority of them uh, came out onto the field and a sign of solidarity uh, to uh, demonstrate against what uh, 
the president is is saying on on Twitter and publicly and uh, using his um, the power of his office to to preach this message of uh, divisiveness. So um, it 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 was it was quite something to see. Uh, it's now going to probably be a divisive issue among the fan base of the NFL and folks around the country are going to be talking about it. So uh, it's it's really relevant, and I want to know what you guys have to think about it. Right. I, uh, w- I forget what, what the numbers were, but I believe they said that at least one or, or, or two members from every single NFL team uh, took a knee and joined in protest, and there were several teams where every uh, member took a knee. Uh, and it's it's just what's really incredible about it is the number of NFL athletes that are that are putting, I would say, their esteem on the line, their reputation uh, to to make this statement and take this stance. And I think that's that's bold and brave. And, uh, you know, it's nothing new when the president says something unbecoming of the president. I think at this point we're all pretty used to that. This is less about responding to Trump and I think more about. Just the the stand of unity and the display of people saying, all right, we're going to stand up for what we believe in, and I think that's cool. And it's also uh, an interesting time to bring up the conversation of, do we believe that kneeling during the national anthem is an acceptable and appropriate form of protest, which I strongly am in favor of. I think it's a great form of protest. No one gets hurt. A lot of people see it. It makes your point pretty effectively, and people get riled up and talk about it for days to come. Uh, but I I understand that not everybody agrees with me on that. Let's let's go to Marissa first, and then I I want to frame it in a little bit different manner. Um, but I want to hear what you have to say on this issue, Marissa. Oh, I was just thinking off of what Nick just ended on. I guess in a nation where people get more upset about people disrespecting a pledge, which while is very important over people's rights, and I guess you know what our president has said in the past. I don't know. I personally don't agree with that. I do think, you know, like with the flag burnings and all that, like it is it is disrespectful, but sometimes you do have to make a point, and that is the point of protesting. So that was just building off what Nick said. And, yeah, yeah Nick, to your point, I, I really don't think this has much to do with being against the military or against the flag. It's more of, of, uh, of a middle finger to the the president and his actions and the atmosphere that's going on right now it yeah. doesn't have to do with disrespecting our country our nation our servicemen and women because i think they they all feel the same way about this it's just injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere and you're seeing a collective response to um just some really uh, uh rough behavior yeah, I, I think it's a great display. I think it's a, a, a brilliant form of protest for people to participate in. I Honestly, I want to see more NFL athletes do it. I think this is getting across the message really well. So there's now uh, just a few days, there's 700 players in Major League Baseball, and none of them have gotten in on this stuff as well. But uh, there's one player, and I do not know his name, uh, but he started doing the kneeling uh, just last week. So, um, you know, professional sports and politics, politics is everything. It yeah. really is. And and a lot of the fans out there saying like, oh, get politics out of the picture and all that. Well, politics are it's, inevitably it's, intertwined it, with our everyday life. You ab- can't avoid it. You can't avoid its intermingling right. with the things that you care about as much as you might like to. Especially when they're charged with civil rights, um, 
you know, problems and issues that we have right now. You just mm-hmm. like that's every people's everyday livelihoods. You just can't ignore that. Right. And let's make it very abundantly clear. The NFL did not start this. So they got dragged into it. Trump called them out and, and they responded to it. Trump called them out. Trump also said that there should be more hitting and he he doesn't acknowledge the CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Did I get that right? I yeah, think the, so. the cranial injury the, thing. The cranial injury, he, he, you know, in, in his 140 characters or less, his way of communicating to the people, he's saying that, oh, these guys don't even get injured. That's not even a real thing. Um, so the most impressive part is that the owners stepped out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's it, it really is a, it, it's a, it's a cultural shift. Uh, and I think it, it's a big it's a big change to see an organization like that respond in the way they did, and it shows sort of the the, the beauty of humanity coming together to um, stick up for a cause. Yeah, and another thing too is that it, tying it back to the local angle, we'll, we'll probably be seeing this extend to college teams not not too long from now. Uh, there were a couple of students last year, I believe, in the NC State marching band. None of our athletes have done it yet. But a couple of the students in the NC State marching band kneeled during the national anthem, and they were actually beaten up pretty badly in the locker rooms or the bathrooms, one of the two. No kidding. By attendees of the game. Yeah. Uh, It's wild how incredibly passionate people get about this in either the right or the wrong ways. It's just, when will we see people start to extend this to our local uh, environment is what I'm interested in seeing. And I, God, I hope it goes better than it did last year. Well, I, I don't know college sports very well yeah, and do I. I i okay but like i that's <laughs> so i'm 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 gonna you know go to you two guys about this like so there were there weren't any players at nc state to did. my knowledge okay. no players have kneeled yet. but 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 folks are associated with the team in some way tried to do it and, mm-hmm. and were and were met with tremendous repercussions right and so and I think there's an active discouragement from uh, coach Doran as I've heard uh, from some of my colleagues at the technician uh, who is is saying that you know don't do that don't do these protests I, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth this is just what I've heard, there's pressure on them in some form or another not to go out there and do it, be it their reputation, be it well, some... They have a lot to lose. What yeah. about the women's teams? Honestly, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to... F- I don't keep up with the men's teams, dude. I. Uh, who knows? I know officially from, from what I've been told that no team, no members of any sports team yet, uh, any football team at least, have, have done the kneel. This is, to my knowledge, this is admittedly just going off of what I've heard. I don't have the facts to back that up currently, the the hard, cold research and secondary source, if you will. But to my knowledge, no other football athlete at NC State has kneeled. I might have heard about some soccer we'll players it doing up. it. Yeah. Uh, but, no. yeah. I think maybe women should start uh, getting involved in politics a little bit more. I think they are pretty well involved. They're uh, only 20%. Well, 20, I, no, no. I'm not saying it's a satisfactory number. I'm saying that twenty percent count those that of are elected uh, office holders are women at the state, local, and federal level. And please look that up because it's true. But look it up and fact check me. And I want to see more young women come into the fold because I think the behavior of men sometimes needs needs to be contained. Uh, we're running rampant with a bully in office right now. And yeah. yeah, well, I think a lot of our problems, too, could be solved if we would just make politics younger. 